Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, an old, old friend of mine who I have worked with plenty of times uh, in with sailing schools and water sports centers, things like that. And it's a little tricky, though, because he is now actually a doctor. And one of the things that I wanted to sit and talk to him about were some of the maladies and things that might befall a solo sailor in the middle of an ocean, far, far away from any sort of rescue and, uh, you know, sort of things to look for. Just, you know, I I didn't have a real concise list uh, worked up, but it was actually pretty informative and uh, pretty helpful to at least hear some of the, the uh, I don't know, more intelligent things that you can do with cuts and wounds and things to look out for and, and then get a little real uh, actual information about things like your appendix bursting or if you have a heart attack or something like that. Now, we I, I just call him Dr. Montgomery, which is not his name. Uh, so if any Dr. Montgomery's out there, uh, get called up on. Don't worry. It's not you, uh, obviously, but I just didn't want to legally. I don't know. Cause obviously none of this is actual pure medical advice from a doctor. This is just, uh, essentially an opinion from a friend who happens to be a doctor. So do not take any of this as a medical advice. If you have any sort of ailments or anything like that, you want to see an actual doctor, uh, that, you know, your own physician or whatever. So having said that, Uh, I just refer to him as a nickname, uh, Rookie Jackson or whatever, that sort of thing. So in any event, it's a really, really good uh, little convo, and we get into some some pretty gruesome stuff. And so beware, it gets a pretty real deal when we start talking about arteries and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So yikes, but really, really interesting too. And uh, I definitely learned something and hopefully you will as well. But before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to support Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, we're just about finished up with work this summer. Get back on the once or twice a week schedule very, very soon. And uh, if you want to become part of the family that supports this show and keeps it going ad free, uh, you can follow the link to Patreon and consider becoming a donor. Uh, and one of the family that helps helps keep the show going. Other than that, we do have the merch shelf alive and well. Link in the description for that. You can pick up a copy of Sailing Into Oblivion, the book, uh, on Amazon or on Audible. Uh, there will be a link in the description for that as well. But, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the ads. And if you want to reach out to the show, I uh, forgot to say that. Uh, possible if you'd like to see me maybe speak in your area or at your yacht club or something like that. I'm hitting the road. Uh, come September, the first talk starts around the 20th, and uh, then I'm going to get out on the East Coast uh, within a few weeks from that, and hopefully it's just going to keep going and going. So I'm trying to fill up my fall. So sailingintooblivion.com, it's got quite a bit of information about some of the different talks, whether it's the disaster one I just went on or if it's the round the world crazy sailing adventure of the Mighty Sparrow. Um, I'm available for all of them, and it's a great Great show, if I do say so myself. But other than that, without further ado, my friend, the doctor, is in the house to talk about what can go wrong out at sea. Thanks for listening. Paging Dr. Montgomery. Oh, that's going to be your alias today. 
How's that sound? Yeah. Dr. Montgomery in the house. Dr. Rookie Jackson. Dr. Rookie Jackson. It's so good. Thank you for the crispy, ice cold. Oh, bush light. <laughs> Nothing satisfies me more than a hunkered down bush light at the end of the day. Oh, yes. Wow, wow. Well, I'd like to invite or welcome Mr. Uh, Dr. Montgomery, Dr. Rookie Jackson, to the show. We finished the regatta day. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. Ah. Uh, now, Dr. Uh, we are gonna we we're keeping your identity a little, a little hush hush because we're not we're not lawyers. We don't know. We know you are a doctor. You went to medical school. You that graduated. Is that is correct. I'm a practicing physician, but in no way does this represent medical advice. There we go. It is simply an opportunity to chat about what I may or may not do in certain situations with limited resources. Excellent. And that, my friends, is the topic of today's show. I've often wondered. And when I'm out there on Sparrow, I have, well, cheers first. Great, cheers. great couple of days. Just a little background. Uh the doctor and I have worked together at uh, in sailing schools and water sports centers many, many, many years ago, and we've been reunited for yet just one week, but it feels like a lifetime already. Yes, oh. it's been magical so far. All right. So even though your voice is as deep as a trombone, you want to bring that microphone about two inches from your face. So you get comfortable, then you bring it in. All right? Thank you. That's the... That's the setup. And we've been recording this whole time. So I understand that. We're already live. Thank you. Okay. Bring it close. Yeah. Get comfy. Bring it close. There we go. Let's get a little volume check for you. You want to say something? Test, 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 test. Definitely bring it closer. Yeah. There we go. Test, 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 test. Love it. All right. So on Sparrow, when I'm out at sea, I have this medical ailments and... I, it's just this big, thick book, and it's scary. It doesn't really tell you how to fix much, but it tells you what's wrong with you and different sort of symptoms and things. Sure. It's pretty scary. Um, and I've often wondered, you know, what what things could befall me out there that, uh, you know, would I be able to do anything about them? Sure. I think that's the obvious big question. Um but we can talk more, dive into it a little bit, but we could talk about symptoms, concerning signs to look for potentially. We could talk about um, what I would do in those situations potentially. But I think ultimately, like you said, the real question is how, if anything, are you going to be able to impact or intervene potentially? Mm -hmm. So, Well, and, and Sparrow, typically I have a pretty minimalistic first aid kit. I think some of the extras, I have a neck brace. Okay. Uh, which a lot of times you wouldn't find in, in an everyday first aid kit. Obviously, bandages, things like that. It's kind of hard to get a hold of antibiotics. Um, sure. But I, I think if you were to recommend a type of antibiotic for that, aren't there some that are called like broad spectrum? Yeah, so broad spectrum antibiotics typically refers to a situation where you're trying to cover... Well, let's back up a second. So first off... Antibiotics are only indicated or useful in the setting of a bacterial infection, as the name would imply. Right. A lot of uh, 
misuse of said antibiotics comes in the setting of catching a bad cold, which typically is a virus in nature. Yeah. And unless that virus somehow turns into a bacterial infection on top of that, antibiotics will not help you with a common cold, for example, with a viral illness. Right. But people take them. Correct. Yes. And that's what I was saying is it's a common way that antibiotics are misused in general. Um, the term broad spectrum antibiotics typically refers to covering different types of bugs, if you will, to make sure that you have covered them appropriately because there are different types of bacteria that lead to different types of infection Mm -hmm. and broad spectrum antibiotics is a way, a catch all term to put somebody on antibiotics to assume that you are covering all of those set infections. It's like an umbrella. Correct. Woo. Okay. And I mean, you know, I've always considered things out on the ocean to be quite sterile. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not going to catch a cold out there, but the the idea of getting a cut that then gets infected because I haven't taken a shower in two months, that that reality is there. Yeah, I think I think um, probably the most common issue would be a common cut, scratch, bump, or burn, for example, uh, that maybe is too much for your own body to handle on top of the wet conditions for example or you do a deeper cut or something like that that will lead then to a bacterial infection so the reason those get infected is depending on what cut you for example so if you step on a nail for example we're worried about tetanus yeah right and i cut myself on metal a lot out there right so the common thing one of the common things i would certainly recommend is being up to date on all your uh tetanus shots right right because if you step on a rusty nail that's a tetanus toxin and i'm going to butcher this a little bit so um but that's what causes that quote-unquote tetanus infection Uh that you get from stepping on a nail so you need a um, tetanus booster and shot to help you fight that off when we are in the hospital and people come in um, with injuries that are consistent with what we call dirty injuries, meaning they've fallen off their motorcycle and have road rash, for example, or stepped on a nail. Yeah. The first thing we do is give them a tetanus shot because we're trying to prevent that infection source from turning into a tetanus infection. Well, Um, let me, if I can just pause you. So, so let's say I, I do, I cut myself on some old rigging. It's all rusty or whatever. Yeah. What am I looking for? Great point. So, First, you would obviously like to try to clean and assess the wound. So the first thing you want to do is obviously make sure you're safe. Yeah. Once everything's stabilized, then you have to kind of do inventory, so to speak, on yourself. So check to make sure what's bleeding, how big is the cut. If we're talking about simple cuts and bruises, I would try to wash them in some way. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, I assume you carry soap on the boat. I do carry soap on the boat, yes. Okay, yes. I'd have soap, I'd have hydrogen peroxide, I'd have alcohol, and... um Obviously, neosporin and band-aids and bandages. Yeah, so so for simple cuts, you may not need to do anything for them. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about a a, a deeper cut, so to speak, I would uh, try to wash the wound. Yeah, Um, really get in there. Yeah, and I I don't think you necessarily need to scrub it unless you think there's like foreign particles in there that are actually going to come out. Yeah. Um, Hydrogen peroxide we can touch on because that's kind of an interesting discussion to some degree, at least with limited things I know about it. Um, hydrogen peroxide is a very abrasive chemical mm-hmm. in the setting that when you expose it to a wound, it basically oxidizes 
and sterilizes that field mm-hmm. or cut. And where people get into trouble is um, in repeated use of hydrogen peroxide on that wound day after day after day after day. Oh, no, it's always a one on one and done. Right. right? I just wanted to clarify because I yeah. know some people that think, well, if this stuff is so sterile, I should just keep using it every day. The problem with using hydrogen peroxide every day is you actually impair the body's ability to form that scar tissue and, and granulation tissue if it's a big cut. So mm. you're actually kind of taking a step back each time you do it. But if you need to sterilize the wound, yeah, if you had something like hydrogen peroxide, you could use that. Um, betadine is something that's easy to carry or like an iodine solution, iodine, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and those that will last forever. So you could make a little bottle, get a bottle of that and carry that with you. Well, and what, what sort of symptoms would I be looking for specifically yeah. to a tetanus infection? So if you truly get tetanus, okay, it's a... Um, pretty rare? It's pretty rare, okay. uh, but it would be life-threatening in that, in that setting. So what happens is you get a, a tetanus, um, and it basically affects your body and uh, is a very bad thing that you can encounter while you're out there. So signs and symptoms of that... Um, I'm putting you on the spot, aren't I? Yes, Just you are. Yeah. It's been a while. Huh? It's been a little while. So, um, <laughs> I mean, we're talking like, you know, you know, when you have like blood poisoning or whatever, and you see like the black line forming through your vein or whatever. Are we talking like lop my arm off if I have it on my finger or something? Would you want to lop your hand off? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. To stop the infection from coming in? Man, that would be a very uh, difficult decision to make, I think. But if you're asking what it would be. A thousand lo- miles from shore, nobody around. Yeah, it'd be difficult. I mean, you'd, you would, to make a decision like that, you would want to see what at that point I would be, if we're talking about a infection, one of the things we talk about is kind of like a, um, there's a lot of, and the other thing that people don't realize is that your normal skin has a lot of flora on it. Okay. And that's a term for talking about like bugs. Yeah. So like oh, yeah. staph epidermis, staph, all this stuff. Um, and what actually causes the infection is the, injury that you sustain is putting that skin flora into a place where it's not normally. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you've like cut yourself on a dirty knife. Yeah. You've, it's cut, that yourself you, you've cut yourself and now you've taken normal flora. That's not supposed to be in your bloodstream or deep in your soft tissues. And you've put it there. You opened up the door. Correct. And let the party in. Yeah. Um, but what that typically turns into. So as you guys have seen what a nice clean healing wound or injury should mm-hmm. look nice and clean and healing and yeah get better it's usually every day. like red and a little sore for yeah. a day or two and what and then right starts to heal up and what what that typically indicates is that infection at the skin level is getting worse and what that what that can look like is pain heat discomfort throbbing and a, yeah. yeah and eventually what you would see is that this redness or erythema around the wound is getting worse Oh, okay, and spreading. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then if that turns into a cellulitis type of infection, which is really bad, especially if it's invading the muscle uh-huh. and everything. Like, is there, are you going to like, if you, if you had this on your hand, it would start to swell up. Your hand would swell. I wouldn't say it would get huge. What would be more concerning is, is redness or skin discoloration that is continuing to propagate up your arm. Uh, okay. So uh, indicating gotcha. that the infection is not being held at bay it's growing it's growing yeah um and that could get really bad um what can i do to f- about that anything limited first aid kit yeah i mean what you would do in the hospital setting just to give you what yeah. would happen normally is you would go into the hospital they'd put you on antibiotics mm-hmm. 
sometimes if you catch it early enough, you can just take oral antibiotics pills. Like a Z-Pack or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, or depending on what the actual infection is, you'd be put on a, a more narrow-range antibiotic to cover that. Um, but sometimes you have to put patients on IV antibiotics because if you give somebody antibiotics through their IV or veins, mm-hmm. it has better penetration into that area of infection. Oh, right, right. You're okay. trying to deliver via the bloodstream, whether you take a pill orally or through your IV, to the site of infection. Mm. The name of the game in... Uh, I guess like wound care is you have to treat the infection with antibiotics if you can, and then also do something called source control. Okay. So let's say you have a, and what I mean by that is um, if you have an infection, you need to wash the infection out, get rid of it. If you have an abscess, sometimes you have to go in and drain an abscess. Like all the pus. Correct. Yeah. When I say that, but so there's two, you have to treat it with antibiotics and also treat the source. Yeah. So that it's not getting worse. So for instance, there was a story, a guy in the Avande globe race, he, he had banged his elbow real hard and it started to swell and he had a big Mm -hmm. sort of abscess, I guess on it. Mm -hmm. And he had to cut into it. Yes. To basically what you're saying, purge or drain. Yeah. And I'm assuming he didn't have a plethora of antibiotics available to him. No, I think he just had pain pills. This right. was back in the late 90s. So in that case, what he was trying to do is open up the infection to drain all that pus. Uh, okay. And But the, the, the idea with that is the source control aspect of what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Because if you can clean that out in theory. Bloodletting. It allows your body to um, <laughs> to work to try to get rid of all that infectious material. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, so the name of the game with the cuts and the tetanus, all that sort of stuff, infections from wounds. Yes. Clean them out and look for continued redness or pain or just the areas growing. Yeah, that like a rash. That would around. be a more late sign that would probably be very concerning. Yeah. Okay, so the, the other thing is you're going to have a fever, right, if right. your body's trying to fight off an infection, so you might be hot, febrile. Uh-huh uncomfortable right because you feel hot it's that same feeling when you get a virus or oh, man. a cough or cold wonderful to have in the doldrums was 95 degrees outside. yeah that would be sounds like sun. not a very su- fun situation to be in yeah um but certainly those more concerning things uh like a soft tissue infection we call you know those are those are scary things like necrotizing fasciitis those are really scary what, what is that soft it tissue infections yeah. yeah um and those uh we can see um, patients who have immune, sure oh, patients huh. who have immune compromise or sorry, who are immunocompromised or have uh, poor wound healing for whatever reason, um, can have a normal cut or scrape that turns into a bad infection yeah, because their body like is really easily, yeah, or, or easier than somebody who has an intact immune system. Oh, okay, um, okay. Patients who have out of control diabetes classically don't heal wounds better. Oh, they don't have okay, good okay. blood flow or circulation to their extremities. Yeah. If you have bad neuropathy or swelling or things like that. Um, so if your body's out of whack to begin with, so to speak, it can make it harder to fight off the infection. Ugh. So that'd be that's, something you would just want to know about one. yourself. Yeah. If you have a hard time doing that, yeah. it might make you more inclined to check yourself out every couple of days, make sure there's nothing right, new right, popping right. up or something like that. The classic scary story is it starts like a pimple, you know, on your butt cheek, uh-huh. let's say. Yeah. And then because you haven't looked at it or don't take care of it, it turns into this raging soft tissue infection. Ugh. And the next thing we're doing is 
you know, we're doing surgery to try to debride those infections. Uh, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So, oh, those maladies. So, yeah, clean yeah. all, clean all those wounds for sure. I well, I know, I know the one that people always sort of mentioned in the past for sure, especially with the one going around the world was if you know, it might be a good idea to take your appendix out before you do something like that. Now, yeah, that's a hearing that question posed to me for the first time. It's a definitely interesting thought. There's certainly a lot of. Uh, risk with having a quote-unquote elective surgery for no in medically indicated reason well what what would be the time frame let's let's say my appendix ruptures or whatever sure what is the time frame between that happening and me dying usually it depends with it's no not, care at all i would say because there's nothing i well, and, and again this is this is outside of my field so this is just a, a guess mm. um yeah no worries no, 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 I think, I think, so what, what you're saying is the scenario is you're on a boat, you're mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, Southern ocean, and all of a sudden you think you have an appendicitis. So let's be clear what we're talking about here too yeah. first. So, Stomach pain, so, fear. so inside ah. your abdomen, you have your intestines, mm -hmm. right? So you eat food, goes through your esophagus, down your stomach into your small intestine yes doctor i am aware of how the body works there is a little nubbin <laughs> <laughs> there is a little nubbin down at the bottom um of your intestines that is the appendix so it's a little residual outshoot of your bowels if and you will. we do not need it correct yeah there's some debate about what it actually may have may may or may not have done in the past, yeah. um, but it really serves no purpose currently. Although there's a lot to be yeah, discussed. Yeah, I mean, they don't know. Right. But basically what happens with that, as any name with itis on the end of it implies, is oh. irritation, inflammation. So appendicitis yes. is an inflammation of your appendix. Okay, And the problem with that is you, you can have appendicitis um, and what typically happens is uh, you have to come in for surgery because that little nubbin gets inflamed. So they'll put you on antibiotics in some cases. But mm -hmm. the best way to deal with it, if you truly are having an appendicitis, is to um, surgically remove it. Because the concern is that if that gets inflamed enough, it will rupture, mm -hmm. meaning it'll just open up through the wall of the intestine yeah. inside your belly. And then you're leaking your intestinal, stu intestinal stuff into your belly. And that's then causes you to get a massively bad intra-abdominal infection. And that's what actually kills you. Yeah. It's not that your like appendix bursts. Uh, right, right. Well, it does burst, it's but not like that's not grenade. what actually kills yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. It's the fact it's that the you're, infection. you would be spilling. It's all infections. Yep. Man. So I guess my question is, so signs and symptoms you'd have, uh, right lower quadrant okay so your appendix is on the right side right lower quadrant okay okay gotcha so that's where your appendix would live so you would classically have pain um there's a point between your belly and your hip region that kind of defines this point where oh, okay. appendicitis pain typically comes from yeah is that um, why when they do a physical they kind of touch you down there yep gotcha well no okay. well that might be well something. they they hit you no <laughs> no i know that but like they they usually push on your yeah different stomach. different quadrants of your abdomen typically refer and to different, different organs yeah, and yeah. different classic problems and then also based if you're a male or female with different organs there can right, be different right. uh, things that could be infected or have abscesses on or twist mm -hmm. um, 
so for an appendicitis, um, you would have right lower quadrant abdominal pain mm-hmm. that is initially initially it might start off kind of dull and achy is how it's kind of classically described mm-hmm. and then over a day or two it moves to a, a pretty sharp and very uncomfortable pain and what's happening is the appendix is either getting more and more inflamed or has actually ruptured and that infection is kind of growing as that stuff that's Ugh. not supposed to be there is there and what that turns into is imagine this very sharp pain and it's um that is kind of the indication when patients need to go for surgery. Yeah. So, um, in addition to that, you would have other classic signs with any infection, fever, right. Loss of appetite, maybe not be feeling well, certainly pain in that region. And is there anything that I can do about it? Probably not. Quite Nothing. honestly. Like, I mean, I if you had antibiotics on board with you, take I would take them yeah. just to um, throw anything at it. Yeah. But it's a surgical problem, yeah. right? It's, um, it's not something that, like when you strain your back, you can kind of rest it, mm-hmm. recover, take it easy. If you truly rupture your appendix, you're a ticking time. Now, what could happen is you could rupture your appendix potentially and not die from it. And then your body could maybe like oh, wall it off and form an abscess and you might survive. Oh. But I, I would have to look up what the like untreated mortality rates are. from Yeah. yeah. To tell you sound. an accurate answer. I think we can put that in the category of, you know, try to get to land. Yeah. I think, I think that would be a situation where you would really have to weigh, uh, what your goals are on the trip. Uh, what are you doing out there? And oh, yeah, how quickly yeah. can you get where? Um, and that would be something you would probably have to change your course or do something. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. 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 Oh, you're going to. Yeah. Typically, I mean, you know, even even at point. It's Nino, not something you'd want to try to just you would, you sail through, soldier yeah, through, yeah, that soldier one. through that no. one. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, I mean, it's one of those things where you eat some bad food, you eat some bad gas indigestion. You get these like stomach pains. Yeah, sometimes, sure. And they'll freak you out. But, yeah, I mean, it would be prolonged and then yeah. it would start to really, really be bad. So right. You know so so you're out. talking about like so G- GI bugs and things like that where you kind of get you maybe eat something that went off a little bit you yeah, get some yeah. sort of oh i when i drank yeah. the water that i right. caught that had bacteria in it, it essentially i ended up just throwing it up every night right but those those typically kind of run their course right you don't yeah, feel good for yeah. a couple of days you're sick you're maybe having diarrhea vomiting right all those things but if, as long as you can stay hydrated then that's okay. always yeah, the key yeah. right so um that's when we get worried for like little kiddos for example if they get sick it's not the time to take them for medical care is when they can no longer kind of keep water down because we don't want them to get dehydrated. Yeah. Right. So you can, you can ride most of that stuff out uh, if you can stay hydrated and you think things are getting better over time. Uh Now those can turn and get worse and could be something unrelated. Yeah. But again, um, that run of the mill kind of cough, cold congestion, you're probably going to be fine. Be able to ride that out. Right. 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 Um, now a whole other topic would be you know injuring yourself right so well yeah you, like if you get let's let's yeah. yeah let's go to just a straight very very uh sort of obvious thing that could happen is i break my arm okay. kind of my forearm right you know something hits me smash it's broken my i now have like two elbows sure i'm out in the middle of the ocean yeah again i think it's you know with it's all about resource allocation right mm-hmm. and you got to triage yourself you got to understand what you can and can't do in that moment right so um again the first thing i would do 
make sure the boat's safe. You're doing what you need to do. But yeah, let's say you look down and you've got a compound fracture in your arm. Mm-hmm. So you got bone sticking out of your uh, arm, right? I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, let's just go, let's yeah. go directly to that. So simple things being simple. If it's bleeding, you got to stop the bleeding, stop the bleeding right? Yeah. Okay, because otherwise you're going to bleed out. Medical speak for that right, is right. exsanguinated. Clean it just yeah. like we're dealing with... Infection. Yeah. Um, what you'd be concerned about in in a really bad crush injury, or again, I am not. This is not medical advice. Yeah, I'm just no, no, no. speaking from what I would do in these situations. Um, I'd want to know. You have to assess the injury. Okay, mm-hmm. so the big things you'd be looking for, and it's going to be hard if this is your arm too, because you're going to be in excruciating be like pain. Mangled. Yeah. yeah. Um, you would want to see if you are bleeding from an artery very quickly. Uh-huh. Okay, because let's be honest if you're if you if you my point is if you tear your arm something twists a big you know the mass comes down and falls on your arm right yeah that's what we're talking about um you're gonna know very quickly if you have a bad problem because you're gonna look down and blood is gonna be pumping out of your arm yeah with your heartbeat right yeah yeah exactly and that would indicate that you have torn an artery right so what do you do then well in that case uh again you would immediately put pressure on it Uh which is not going to be fun yeah and then you'd have to have a decision to make about putting on a tourniquet okay yeah and there's again i again yeah you get some tiny line and cinch it right down on your arm yeah and and you know there is a whole study of kind of field medicine and, and kind of wilderness survival, which I think a lot of how this would kind of apply to what you would be facing on a boat right, yeah, by yeah, yourself yeah. or something like that. This is a different story if you're offshore or close. Like, okay, so if you can get back in, my general advice would be just get back yeah, in. Yeah, but in, in this Again. case, we can't. I'm, I'm at minimum 10 days from land. Yeah, so, so if you had an injury that you felt reasonably confident was – bleeding out from an artery you would have to put a tourniquet on or else you would be dead i mean you would just bleed out and die you'd bleed out in minutes right well it depends on how severe the injury is and how big of an artery it is um and yeah that could be you know you would basically just start to feel real dizzy you'd lay down and And then then you'd just be be out black light dead so thin diameter line. Well, I wouldn't even say thin diameter line. I would it, the way you can do it, kind of a, a field tourniquet, if you will. You can take any size line. Uh-huh. You tie it into a loop. Yeah. So you could tie a, a, a reef knot or you know a bow anything a bowl really bowline. Yeah. And then what you do, it doesn't matter that you don't have to tie it tight to your arm. What you do with it is you put it around your arm and then you take a stick or like something hard and you loop it through that loop and then you're twisting it down in a clockwise or counterclockwise manner until it binds. Mm -hmm. And then it will start to get so tight that you can really ratchet it down. Yeah. The idea with a tourniquet is that you are trying to stop life-threatening bleeding so you're you're basically committing to the fact that you are no longer salvaging your arm. Yeah, the arm's this, done. It's done. What you're trying uh, to prevent is you dying from blood podcast. loss. Now, so let's say you get the tourniquet on. Yeah. Let's we can play this all the way out if you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, please do. So, let's say you crush the two bones in your forearm. Yeah. Okay. And one of them's sticking out and on the way out it took out your radial artery. Okay. Uh-huh. So now you're bleeding from your artery you have to go upstream of that obviously you if you could put pressure on it if you could grab the little artery that was bleeding uh-huh. in theory you could 
hold it, sew it. Really? Well, yeah. You're, the goal is to stop bleeding from that artery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now you can have venous bleeding and just like crush injury and all this stuff. So it could be mangled down there. But uh-huh. if you look down in your arm and you see a little like pumper uh-huh. of blood pumping out of there, out of a little tube. I would immediately grab anything, meaning your finger or and a pair it. of pliers or just paper or your other hand. And Vice just, grips. Yeah, something, yeah. right? To at least stop it. And then you'd have to do a little damage control, meaning like look around. What are you seeing? Yeah. Is One it, option is if you uh, had thread and a needle, you could you could in theory try to sew it off, meaning you would just put a huge stitch in that area and cinch that oh, down. Yeah, like right? a mini tourniquet just on the vein. Yeah, because if you can stop the bleeding right at where the cut is, you don't have to go all the way up your arm. You're gonna yeah, yeah limit yeah. the bleeding at where it's actually bleeding. But, but the chances the, that yeah, are probably pretty. Rare. Yeah, and and the the ability of you to do that in reality is going to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And you could still be bleeding. There could be other places it's bleeding from. So in, in a crush injury situation, you kind of have to move up the arm, and then you would say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what I can get here by putting a tourniquet on. Uh-huh. And the idea with the tourniquet, obviously, is that by how tight it is, you just cease from the pressure any ability of arterial blood or venous blood yeah. to go down into the arm. Right, right. So you're, you're, you're essentially saying, I, I, I'm going to uh, – Sacrifice the, the arm. Sacrifice the arm by not letting blood go down there, but save my life by so, not bleeding yeah. out. So now... Okay, so now you've got this tourniquet, like, cinched down on your arm. Yeah. You're going to be in excruciating pain. The tourniquet itself is going to be the most painful thing you've ever felt, because imagine twisting yeah. this thing down. Uh, yeah. It'll go numb eventually, because you're actually going to have no blood flow down there, so things are going to just start going numb. Yeah. Um, but the pain might reside from the injury and again this has never happened to me i can't speak from experience in this case but if you can stop the bleeding you at least are not going to die immediately mm-hmm. but what you will die from if you were truly weeks away from care is the infection that will then come and kill you because there's no way that this is not going to get infected oh really yeah That's it's just going to happen i mean it'd be very hard to sterilize that whole thing you might get away with it to buy you enough i think you would probably buy you enough enough time to get back to shore but so you like, you wouldn't want to be out there for weeks okay yeah, like yeah. you're gonna succumb to some issue from this at some point well let's let's at least go okay you know, hollywood extreme right Good night once it goes numb lop off the nub and then take you know some steel thing right. heat that up red it. hot and then yep. just probably that i mean i guess it's worth a try right yeah i'm trying to remember that movie where the guy Got his arm stuck in a boulder. Oh, 127 hours. Yeah, had to saw his... That's, that's how the story goes, I believe. Yeah. Had to saw his arm off. And I can't remember if he, in the movie or in real life, put a turn... I think he put a tourniquet yeah, on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he put a And then walked on, out yeah. of there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was only a couple of days between that and getting yeah. medical attention. And if I recall, I'm sure this was over... Well, maybe not over-dramatized, but I think he, it was a very painful experience to cut his own arm off at that point. Meaning it hadn't gotten numb, so numb that he couldn't feel anything. Right, right, But I don't right. remember, but... No, because, well, that was the thing is, is his hand, his arm, I don't think it was broken. It was it just, was just stunched, Yeah, yeah. Or... or Maybe smashed uh, a little. Okay, okay. So tourniquet, that's good to know. Yeah, and then and then yeah, I mean in theory, um, you'd like to sterilize that wound no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um if you had some beverage of alcohol that could potentially sterilize it, but again, if you Well, have, I have bottles of like isopropyl alcohol. Yeah, so you'd want to so. splash that on there, mm-hmm. right? Get in there, kind of assess and what then you can. Just, 
try desperately. And then what I would do is is I would wrap it, right? The other issue is if your arm is truly like unstable, meaning mm-hmm. you've broken both bones and now your wrist is like flopping yeah, left yeah, and yeah. right, you'd probably put a splint, grab another piece that's straight. Mm-hmm. And this would be really painful too, but you might actually try to like set the bone if it was, and what I mean by that is like destroy you have to pull tension to try to realign the bone. Yeah, and like stick. Because otherwise, if your arm's truly like deformed at ninety degree angles, it'll heal that way. Well, right. not only that, but like it's just it's not going to be good, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but right, um, that right. would be very challenging to do by yourself. But yeah, like wrapping the wound, putting a splint on it, um, sterilizing it as best you can, and then you got to you got to go. Yeah, go go for yeah. land. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the Get common for, theme yeah. here, I think, for a lot of these is like you're gonna just have to go. go these for are land. bad. Well, injuries. and that's why. Yeah. That's honestly, that's why I'm I'm thinking about it because you know I I've had some some bumps. Yeah, what kind scrapes. of what kind of things have you encountered? You know, not much. Mostly just cuts. Um, a couple little burns that blister up pretty sure. good. Um, the the interesting one on this last trip was some sort of head injury. Okay. So. When when I got turned upside down, something hit me in the head right sure. in the ear, and and I even you could see it in some of the videos. The inside of my ear is bruised. Okay. And the only other symptom I had besides pain for about a week or so in in that region was just sore to the touch. Um, was the next day when I was trying to figure out and calculate my distance from Bermuda, I couldn't do the simple math. Yeah. Um, of it was like five five nautical degrees on the chart and it's you know 60 miles per degree and i couldn't do that math in my head i'm staring at this thing like going well, how i can't add this up I right can't add this up five brain fog five times 60 and uh and then that went away after a day or two um and i'm assuming that that's just part of being like concussed yeah i would i would if i had to guess again based on what you just described i would say that was a concussion yeah right which a concussion is basically a a force injury to your head that mm-hmm. kind of jars your brain inside your skull yeah and it's you can kind of think about it like a almost like a bruise on your brain mm-hmm. um now there's there's real bruising on your brain that you can have called contusions from a more severe head injury mm-hmm. um head bleeding bleeding into your head there's different spaces in your head that you could bleed into from trauma or something hit smacking you on the head heavy this would have to be so imagining the boom or the mask comes down on your head or something yeah like something really bad uh, but yeah what you're describing is probably a, a mild concussion um but concussions can be severe and a lot of times they don't necessarily always correlate with the degree of injury mm-hmm but in those cases, you'd be looking for signs and symptoms, like you said, kind of this brain fog, some pain, right? You could have ringing in your ears sometimes. Oh, ringing in my ear. Is, and if you, what if you have blood coming out of your ear? Well, that's a bad problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it would depend where that was coming from. So, the, the, again, I'm not, this, this is touching a lot of different realms of, of medical care. So, I'm certainly not an expert in, in, in any of these or all of these, I should say. Um, if you were bleeding from your ear, that could be a more serious indicator that you've fractured a bone inside your ear canal. Ooh. And in the worst case scenario, if we want to kind of just take everything to the extreme, which yeah. I don't mind doing is um, inside your skull, you have fluid and blood, meaning 
you have brain tissue. Yeah. And then you have blood that obviously goes to your brain so that you're alive. Yeah. Um, and you also have something called cerebral spinal fluid. Okay. So it's like a buffer that um, yeah, surrounds sort your of brain. Kitty pool around your brain. Correct. And that acts as kind of a shock absorber mechanically, but it, it serves a lot of purposes. But your ear is intimately involved with the base of your skull in that region. Yeah. And you can, if you truly have a bad injury to your ear or ear canal, let's say, you can actually have a fracture that will connect with that cerebral spinal fluid space. So you can actually leak spinal fluid out of your ear. <laughs> oh. uh, but when patients come in with bad traumas, it's one of the things we look for on our initial assessments. Is it like clear liquid? Yeah, it looks like it looks like um, kind of yellow tinged or or not quite clear fluid. Uh-huh. But it's different than blood. Um, it's a fluid. It's just yeah. a clear fluid that you'll see. Oh. Um, so that's one of the things that we look for for injuries to the side of the head or including the ear, because that's that's an indicator to us as a medical provider that there is a very serious deep injury. Yeah. That's the only way that that fluid should never be coming out of yeah, your ear, yeah, right? Is the point. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what about like if if I were to, um, I always worry about my eyes. Yeah. Either you know splashing sure. some sort of really bad chemical in yeah. it, uh, or getting something stuck in my eye. Oh yeah. You know, getting something <laughs> taking a big hit. There was there was a time, and I, you know, it may sound almost ridiculous, but there have been a number of occasions where a flying fish has literally just buzzed past my head in the middle of the night right almost and jumped into your eye yeah, basically. yeah i mean and these things are moving fast enough sure. where if, if flying fish hit you in your eye you're, you're it's gonna yeah, destroy it's, your eye yeah it carries some weight and some speed so it's, it'd be like taking a rock to your eye right for example you gotta stuff. pull whatever it is out right well i guess it depends i mean so. obviously if it's a fish but yeah, if it was just a foreign object a piece of wood piece of metal yeah i this is an interest. I don't know how in depth you want to go with this range, but um, yeah, let's say you have a splinter the size of a two inch thorn sticking into your eyeball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, again, I'm not giving any medical advice here, but right. um, you would probably just wrap your head and wrap it. The problem is, is not so much that you've got this thing stuck in your eye, it's that when your eyeball moves, this thing is going to be moving, moving around yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah. So um, I guess the debate would be whether you had to like remove the foreign object uh-huh. or could you wrap it in a way where you can try to not move your eye and then go seek medical care. Right. Again, we're always kind of having this debate in yeah, your situation yeah. on a boat about like how fast you can get how back. fast you need to get somewhere. Um, there could be situations where it might be better to leave it if you can get somewhere in a day or two. If you're really worried, now we're talking about, I don't know, I've seen fish hooks in people's eye, goes all the way through the eye, yeah. right? What if, like, what if the eyeball, like, popped out, right? And that it's, would hanging, be, that it's would, hanging by those those threads. Yeah, I would probably, honestly, I, God, I'm, again, I'm just thinking if this is myself and my eyeball was dangling out by my retina. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'd either cut it off or pack it back in there and see where i was at in and terms of getting any, anything that i was cutting with i'd want to make sure it was sterile like dipped in alcohol. yeah that's why it might be better to just like honestly kind of Scoop push your in. eyeball back into the socket and pack it 
Yeah. I mean, you're <sighs> pro- you're going to lose your eye at that point no matter what. Right. If your eyeball has An eyeball like, can't come out and go back in. It, no, no. I've never heard. Well, again, <laughs> I, I, this is this is way outside of my yeah, realm, but yeah, yeah. Um, that would be a hard sell. Right, right. <laughs> so. Well, because, you know, I, I, I talked to my dentist um, yeah. before I left on one of my big trips, and I did ask him, I was like, hey, you know, if I have a, a tooth that, you know, right. starts to get infected. This it, is this is the um like the Tom ca- Hanks castaway, castaway thing. Right. Yeah. And he's like, No, you definitely don't want to do that. You don't want to grab it with vice grips. Right. He's like, You're you're gonna you're gonna end up crushing it. Right. And then having to pick every piece out. Right. Um he said to undermine it. So he said essentially like unroof, take my, unroof it. Basically. Yeah, he said take my fingernail and just start start picking away at the gum right next to it until you get underneath it and then you should be able to he's like if it's infected it's gonna hurt do oh yeah it's gonna hurt really bad but he said you get underneath that and then you can you can pull it out that way right yeah he was like under no circumstances should you try and knock it out with right like i think that's sage advice yeah exactly (laughs) exactly um yeah what let me ask you what um when you prepare for these trips Mm-hmm. what kind of medical checklist do you go see anybody? Do you get supplies? What kind of things are you doing? Uh, normally, no, I don't. I mean, I, I guess I like to get my skin checked and I like to get my eyes checked, get some new contacts. Mm-hmm. And then I get, I go get my teeth done. Sure. Uh, just make just sure you to, don't have like a just, cavity yeah, brewing or exactly. something like that. Yeah. And, other than that, I mean, I, I don't know, a physical, I suppose, if if I had any concerns or any things that were bothering me prior to, right. then I might go get a physical or something. But or get it checked out, at least. Yeah, I, you know, if, if everything's, I'm still at kind of an age now, I guess I'm over the hill as far as into my 40s, so now there's a whole lot more maladies that are more prevalent, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no, before that it's pretty much just eyes, teeth and uh Yeah. And then and what kind of what kind of supplies do you I mean I know we touched on this pretty a basic, bit, like but, a yeah. couple of regular first aid kits with the standard stuff, you know, band-aids, neosporin. I have lots of like uh cortisone cream cuz yeah. you, know, you get you get rashes from the salt water and not bathing and all that sure. sort of stuff. So you always just try and stay on top of those. Uh the minute I have some itching on my like waistband or something you can cough. It's natural. I'm just going to adjust the microphone here. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Um, just trying to stay on top of those things because, yeah, obviously you're not bathing all the time. Um, and lots of sunscreen. Right. Lots of sunscreen. Yeah, I mean, you know, skin cancer isn't going to kill you while you're out on a 270-day. No, it would take a while, but I do know. But yeah, preventative reasons for my, down my the derm, road. though. She she did say, and I'm hopefully going to have her on the show at some point. It was that you know because i had that melon that surface melanoma and it appeared like this new mole showed right. up and when i went and saw her, i was like that's new and we cut it out and it was that and uh you know if i was out there and some big gnarly new mole showed up on my arm i'd probably be like huh that's that's uh yeah but that again that's not gonna kill you not while you're out like there two weeks yeah, yeah yeah but as it's been described by by my derm, you know, could be the tip of the iceberg. So no, I yeah, I, I'm certainly not saying don't get your annual screening mm. for your moles. Right, but right. Oh no, if we're talking about life threatening issues, yeah, yeah, um, skin cancer lesion is not going to be one that kills you while you're out no, there. No, no, uh, um, no, that's that's about it, you know. And then uh, yeah, 
I like I said, I've always wanted to take a bra, have a, like a Z pack or something out there. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. It's um, just hard to get. Right, that's that's the problem. Sometimes, right? and I, you know, unless you know, if, unless you have a personal doctor that can do that for you, and I, you know, I've been dancing around the facts of life for years, and I don't have any of that. But over the the last few during COVID and stuff, you couldn't. Right, they weren't. They were like, no. Don't come to our hospital for that. Yeah, and again, you know, it would be odd. Like I said, you'd, you'd probably be like, oh, I'm taking this pack because I've been feeling crummy the last couple of days. And unless you know that's actually a bacterial infection, the antibiotics might not help anyways. It's not going to do anything. Now, what yeah, can yeah. happen is you get a, what we call like a superimposed infection that actually turns bacterial. And that's when antibiotics would be helpful in that situation. Mm. But common colds and viruses are viral thus the name yeah and there's no antivirals now there are things like tamiflu which is a drug but it works to this this is when this is when influenza or you get the common cold yeah you can take a pill to try to lessen the severity of the symptoms that's what tamiflu is so it's an antiviral medication Uh, okay okay. and it's a prescription medication if i recall correctly um but when you have a kid who is diagnosed with and again they have to go in and swab your nose to Uh know that you have the influenza a strand of the common cold virus yeah but they can give you a pill or a series of pills that helps lessen the symptoms from that you still have to fight off the virus and let it run its course so to speak but that can help lessen symptoms well it's it's essentially like nyquil right I mean, but probably much more yeah, effective. But I mean, well, when I get a cold, when I get the flu, I right. get a bottle of NyQuil. Right. So what's in NyQuil? So I'll tell you. Well, there's. it depends if it's the AM or PM version. But PM, tip, baby. Yeah. So the PM version has alcohol in it. Yeah. Okay. That's why people get drowsy from it. Yeah. Um, and then it typically has acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it has a cough suppressant of some nature. Yeah. But again, NyQuil and DayQuil are symptom management yeah, medications. Yeah. You your still, body's going to be the, the yeah, one. Yeah, you still run you run the course of the virus or the common cold, but you're managing symptoms with the things that are in NyQuil and DayQuil. Mm-hmm. That's why when you take DayQuil for a brief few hours, you feel better because you've just taken some t- or an NSAID or a ibuprofen, for example, helps with your fever. Mm-hmm. The Tylenol can help with general aches that you're feeling, right? And then the cough suppressant helps you suppress the cough, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but again, those are not. Um, that's not the reason you clear you clear the infection because your body fights it off. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're dealing with symptom management at that point. Well, and yeah, I mean, when I'm out there and trying to think what other stuff, I usually have like a leave. And then right. I'll have some like Advil or something Correct. or, or just cause is Advil ibuprofen? There's different formulations, but the, the general class you're talking about is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Right. Okay. okay. And those have pain relieving properties, but also uh, fever reducing properties. Yeah. So that's one general class of medication. So these are like Aleve, Advil, ibuprofen, different names and trade names and things like that. Yeah. The other general class of common kind of, medicines people have is tylenol which is acetaminophen yeah yeah and that helps uh with pain and issues right so yeah i think having one or both of those would be helpful right Mm -hmm. that's something you could take if you 
stub your toe or you get some bad back strain right and you need some things like that because otherwise you're not like unless you're unless you have a doctor who's willing to write you prescription medications which they probably shouldn't be doing right right um you know you have to deal with kind of over-the-counter stuff but if i were to put a kit together you know or something i agree with you having a basic first aid kit with kind of stuff like that you could even put a tourniquet in there right if the if we're really talking about life-saving issues when mm-hmm. you, you can buy kind of medical tourniquet kits that are actually like pre-made oh you know, really real easy to use so you're not you know because yeah, if you're if your arm's broken and you're yeah you're trying to triple blend yeah exactly <laughs> um so they're pre-made and they sorry they're pre-made so they'll easier to put on i guess in that's in that stressful situation certainly have um some sort of antiseptic material oh like yeah, you said. yeah so lots. so isopropyl alcohol hydrogen peroxide those antibiotic ointments are helpful as well um hydrocortisone cream i think is something you could get over the counter over to the help counter, with yeah, little rashes yeah. and bumps and stuff like that um and then yeah i agree with you i think I, I i was curious to ask you this question actually but what is your yeah like i i think things like basic hygiene and dental care while you're out there would be helpful right Huge. to try to prevent uh abscess in your tooth or something or some cavity getting worse or something etc and then beyond that i mean i think a lot of stuff you could probably ride out meaning kind of common colds and things like that but if we're talking about life-threatening injuries then you got to decide if you can get it back in or not yeah yeah but otherwise yeah i mean if you like the story i heard when you took the wave and your boat completely rolled over if you had fallen out of bed and smacked your head so hard that you were bleeding internally into your brain you're just gonna die like yeah, you're, yeah. there's nothing you're gonna be able to do <sighs> um, but that would have to be a very very serious injury yeah um, yeah well and that you know obviously there's a there's an inherent risk in doing what you do going out there and stuff um as far as as far as like crossing an ocean or you know even the atlantic there's so much traffic in there you probably you throw that EPIRB off, and the Coast Guard will be able to at least uh, redirect shipping to your position. And usually, right. those ships have pretty substantial medical. Yeah, I think the other thing we never really touched on is, and again, I think these are things that would just be terribly bad luck. But you have a heart attack while you're out there. Yeah, right? like what do you do? What there's do you a, do? I mean, I don't think there's. Do you any, just go? I mean, if you, I if I was if all of a sudden I'm getting like severe arm pain, yeah. my chest is. Do I reach for a bottle of you know whatever booze I have on board to thin my blood, real quick? No, I don't. No, th- I don't do if that. you had an aspirin, you could maybe take one. Oh, okay. but even that, it's like, and <laughs> you know, it. If you're having a massive heart, people people die from heart attacks even when they are in the, in the hospital, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So my point is, like, if you just happen to have terrible luck and have a heart attack while you're out there, I mean, now you can have a mild heart attack that won't kill you. Yeah, that happens yeah. all the time, right? But, you, yeah, like, you know, we could talk about that. But, you know, heart attacks are severe radiating pain in your chest. A lot mm-hmm. of times they talk about it radiating down. It's called referred pain. So it'll radiate down your left arm yep. or up into your neck. It's classic kind of concerning. Feels like somebody's standing on your chest. Yeah, the classic way they decide the describe a massive heart attack is like an elephant sitting on your chest. Yeah, you're sweaty. You're you're diaphoretic. You look really uncomfortable. Yeah. When people are having a heart attack, they don't look good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's a if it's a big heart attack, and we what we're ta- what we're talking it. about is a a blockage in your heart that yeah. is 
cutting off blood flow to the muscle of your heart, right? So that's what a heart attack is. So you, like any muscle in your body, you have to have blood get pumped to it. Uh-huh. So your leg muscle, your thigh has blood vessels that deliver Just blood and oxygen. Blood and oxygen. Your heart itself need, is a muscle, so it needs its own blood supply. Mm-hmm. So what a heart attack is, is you have, you have arteries or coronary arteries that feed the muscle of your heart. And what happens is you have a plaque build up in that artery from cholesterol. Breakfast burritos. Yeah, the the massive breakfast burrito I smashed this morning with <laughs> a yeah. of sausage in it. Oh, yep. God. Um, and a plaque ruptures and blocks that artery, disrupts the blood flow. So you yeah. actually have dying heart muscle. That's what a heart attack is. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. yeah. All right. Well, jeez. So, that's uh, it's I don't know. It's and only, honestly, if that is what happens to you, it might be the a good way to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, My point is, if you have a massive heart attack out there, you're probably not going to make it. It's going to be back. pretty quick, right? It could certainly be quick um, if you're lucky enough to survive it. Yeah. Um, the it sounds other, like one of those growing infections would be pretty scary. That would be real scary because you're conscious of it. Yeah. And you're looking at it every day. It, it's not killing you in the exact moment. Right. But you're you're looking at this thing going, okay, I'm 10 days from anywhere or eight days now seven six and you're watching this thing it's like a time you know yeah it's like yeah well wasn't isn't that the thing though with like blood poisoning doesn't it isn't there like a line that yeah if you if you truly get like so again what i think what we're talking about here is something called like necrotizing fascia which is a soft tissue infection and if it gets so bad it can turn to gangrene which Mm. is essentially a term that kind of describes like now the infection is so bad, you're losing blood supply to that area. So your mm-hmm. fingers start to turn like dusky and yeah, nasty, yeah. right? Um, and then, yeah, as tissue breaks down, it turns all Green, sorts yeah. of colors, Ugh, nasty, and then stinks. black, and then, you know, starts to decay, essentially. Hmm. And, yeah, that would also track, in a sense, if it was like, now we're talking maybe a very long time now for that to actually yeah, happen. But yeah, yeah. Um, again, this is a little outside of my realm of what I do in practice, but um, these are just my thoughts on kind of yeah, what that yeah, would yeah. look like. And yeah, then, for sure. not to be a downer, but the other things that would just like you know, if you have if you have an aneurysm in your head that explodes, uh-huh. ruptures, oh, you're going to drop dead. You're going to drop. Yeah. Right. If you have a heart attack that's massive enough, you're going to drop dead. Right. Um, yeah, and there's nothing I can do. No, about there's that. nothing you could do. You might not even realize it was happening, yeah. right? If it was so severe. Um, but I think, I think like anything, uh, and based on what I know about you and your travels and things like that, it, it it's again, it's a, it's a resource allocation. How, how far away are you from medical help? What can you do in the moment to temporize things until you can seek said medical care? Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess one of my questions to you is what on your trips and your things that you've done where is the point where you are like furthest from anyone and how many days away from help are you are there ever situations where you are like there is no one that will be able to find or help me for like two weeks or three weeks yeah yeah i mean when you really have to be down southern ocean right you know middle of the pacific i was like 30 miles from point nemo and I was right. the most isolated human on the planet Correct. at that point. What is your 
what is your most like guns blazing way to get help? Uh, blow off the EPIRB. And what is that? Which is emergency position indicating radio beacon. So anywhere on the planet, I fire that thing off. And, and when you I, just say fire, like what is it? Turn it just, on. Okay. Anytime. Just, yeah. yeah. Anytime. I, yeah. We, we like to make it sound cool. No. It, yeah. uh, it's an electrical device. And uh, essentially, it's got about a 36-hour battery. You, you turn it on, and it's sending a distress signal to a satellite, which then goes straight to the Coast Guard. And it's registered. So... The Coast Guard picks it up from Mighty Sparrow, from Jerome Rand. It says where my position is. And it and doesn't it says, communicate information other than your position? No. Like, you it, can't it type a says, message into it, is no, my point. But the, yeah. the, the predetermined thing is, I need immediate Right. Assistance. This only goes off when your life is in danger. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, if I'm in a life raft, right, okay. I would fire that thing. Now, let me ask you a follow-up question, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, are there situations where depending on where you fire that off, meaning like in the what, certain region or area or time that the Coast Guard would not be able to get to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and what is limiting them to get to you? Well, they, them personally getting to you would be being within, you know, a few hundred miles of the U.S. probably. And that's because they're limited by how yeah, far Yeah, helicopter range, right. ship okay, range, yeah. all okay, that stuff, gotcha. where they have their vessels. Um, yeah. But they can coordinate with maritime shipping. Okay. And that's your best bet, you know. And, and what does that mean? That means all there's like fifty thousand ships that are plying. The You're ocean. relying on other people, yeah, to, to just they'll divert. Course. They'll okay. divert a thousand foot container ship to my position. Gotcha. Because there's and it's one of those things where you know I might get a call from the coast guard. Okay. They say, hey, there's yeah. somebody in distress, and you're the closest. For whatever reason, you're in the Southern Ocean. You you're idiot. the closest. Go down yeah. and get them. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Now, what is the um? fidelity or like the probability of like if they have your position they can hone in on that exact position i mean it's got to be fairly good right oh yeah yeah okay. yeah pretty good and and typically you know it'd be one of those things where you'd, you'd fire that epurb off and then i if i was in some you know if i'm in the middle of the the south pacific deep in the southern ocean nobody's around there for thousands of miles who knows um i'd probably fire the epurb off for a couple hours and then I turn it off. Right, because you said there's a battery life. Yeah, on it. and then yeah. I turn it back on, you know, maybe a day later, and it'd be like a daily sort of thing. Right, because they, they could see how you're drifting. Yeah, I guess. if I'm or drifting, if, if I'm going, yeah. getting blown with the wind or something like yeah. that. I don't think, unless I like somehow was able to bring enough warm clothes with me, I don't see how you'd even survive in a life raft because I don't have like a, a full body what they call them Gumby suits, which is like a it's like a personal life raft you wear, you know, so that you could, it's like a submersion suit or something. So you could be in the water for a couple of days, um, super warm, that sort of thing, face shield, all that. I mean, what would, what Hypothermia would, per- would, okay. would get me very quickly in the Southern in, Ocean. In the Gumby suit or not in the Gumby suit? Uh, like how long I, could you yeah, serve? I don't have one. Um, It'd be if I was in a life raft and I was able to bring some extra clothes with me or something, might make it a day or two. I don't know. Ernie Hazard back in the 80s survived basically in his underwear in I think it was November or October (laughs) off uh, George's bank. And when they picked him up, he was literally blue. Sure. They were like, 
this shouldn't have happened. You should not have been able to survive. We it's, need to study you to figure yeah, out how oh, this yeah, happened. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's it's nice. To, I know we got to get out of here because uh, we got to work later. But um, and I got to get some food. But I appreciate your uh, insight into this. It's nice just to actually peel through it because a lot of times you just go out there and you're like, you know, I don't want to think about that. But it's yeah. nice to kind of have it in the back of your head. I don't want to talk about flesh-eating bacteria because I, I just don't want that to haunt my dreams. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I you know dealing with things like drinking bad water or, like, say, I eat, I've eat i eaten food on an old delivery where, you know, the captain's like, oh, you know, leftovers, we keep those out, you know, next to the sink so they get eaten quick. Well, yeah, they also go bad pretty quick, too. And then I ate that, and you just end up throwing that stuff up. But sure, you know, I I, I think most interestingly was the infection thing uh, for me because I think that that has the probability of of being you know a scraper scab gets infected and then it just starts getting red and painful and and moving yeah. towards the rest of my body. That's that's the one I'm going to be looking out for. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely appreciate that. But other than that, man. Um, Thank you, Dr. Montgomery, Rookie Jackson. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, very exciting. Thanks for having me. Um, and, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, and, and obviously working with you and stuff like that, there's uh, there's none better. It's a blast from the past, and it's a very welcome one. So. Yeah, feelings mutual. It's so. been fun. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.